according to the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air. So not only was I dead, but I was following the devil, according to the Bible. That spirit which is now at work in the sons of disobedience, all among whom we all once lived according to the passions of our flesh, we carried out the desires of our body and of our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were, we were in a rough spot, to say the least. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That's crazy. That's the gospel. I was dead. I couldn't save myself. But God, when I was dead, he said, you're dead. And I said, yeah, let me clean myself up, Lord, and I'll come to you. He says, there's no coming to me. You're dead. You don't climb out of caskets on your own, but I'll come in the casket and make you alive. That's when he loved you, church. That's when he loved you. Not, not, look at me. I'm in church on a Sunday. Well, he's not impressed. I'll I'll be honest with you. But he loved you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I thought God was mad at me. Well, God does hate sin. He hates rebellion. All these things are bad. God is love. God has wrath. He's got lots of attributes that make him good, true, and holy. But he's good. He's loving. So he loved us when we were dead. He saved us when we were dead. We didn't save ourselves. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. What? I thought he just saved me from death. Yeah, it gets better. It gets crazier. He saved you from sin and then seated you with him. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, but not because of our good works. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now here in Ephesians 4, the Holy Spirit has Paul turn the corner for us to start to see what do these good works look like? How can I walk this out? What can I see? Verse 17 of chapter 4 now. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Who were we? What were we? We had minds that were in the dark. Why? Because of the hardness of our own hearts. This was the claim. We can make all sorts of justifications for sin. Well, they had a bad home life. Well, that is a, that is a terrible disadvantage. And that is, a, that is something that the Lord doesn't want for anybody. And they had this happen to them, and they had that happen to them, and they had this happen to them. But still, God is not weak, and his arm is not short, and his arm is mighty to save. So God is not intimidated by dark situations, and the Holy Spirit is still reaching out to people, and he calls out to people. So a person who will soften their heart to the Lord... The Lord, he cuts them open and says, ooh, this is surgery. And he says, yeah, cancer has to be removed. The stony heart has to be withdrawn and a new heart has to be put in. We're talking about resurrection. We're not talking about slight modifications here. We're talking about new life entirely. So a hard heart is the thing that has been the barrier for me to come to Christ. Well, I just, you know, no, it's, 
Them church people, they hurt me one time. We'll join the club. Humans are going to hurt humans. That happens, and that's unfortunate, which is why we forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. So back to Jesus. Well, one time I heard this, or one time that happened. Yep, the world has lots of bad things happen in it. The world is broken. The devil is bad. People are foolish. Sin has polluted things. There's all kinds of bad things. So now, let's, can we come back to the cross, please? Because Jesus is the point. Jesus is the one you have to address. Jesus is the one you have to deal with. If John Michael hurts you, if John Michael misleads you, you won't get to stand before him, before the king, and point back to John Michael and go, well, that guy ruined it for me. No. The, the Lord is speaking. The Lord is moving on your heart. Will your heart be softened enough to actually respond to the gift that God's bringing to you? That's the question. Calluses are good to have on your hands. I like that I have calluses on my hands. When I'm doing deadlifts, when I'm picking stuff up, there's a, a protection there. You can feel like you're more secure in what you're doing. It's a good thing to have a callus on your hand. But to have a callus on your heart is awful. And this is the problem with a hard heart. When your heart can't feel God, you give yourself up, the scripture says, to outrageous behaviors. And they don't seem outrageous to you. Why? Because they're not outrageous to you. It's home. It's all I know. This is comfort. This is normal. You're decaying. Yeah, well, I'm dead. I'm used to it. Now, calluses on my hand, they, they prevent me from feeling stuff, but that's, that's beneficial. When I'm carrying something heavy, when I was moving a sofa a few weeks ago with my brother, like you rest the heavy thing on the callus, right? So it's like, oh, it doesn't hurt as bad because the callus is there doing the work for me and I almost don't even need as much grip. There's an advantage there, but on the heart, the callus means that you can't feel what God feels. I don't care. I don't care, is the, says the heart that's calloused. I, I just don't care. I don't feel anything, so how can I care? Well, this is the good news. The gospel is the powerful thing that cuts the callous away, and it brings an extreme sensitivity. But with that extreme sensitivity comes a moment of decision. That's raw. You ever ripped a callus off? So when I did crew for all those years, I was the coxswain, so I did not have rower hands, but rowers had like magnificent calluses. And every now and then, if a rower wasn't paying attention to their grip, every now and then this giant beefy callus would be torn from the roots. And this person, like there's no, that thing just has to be totally removed and they just have to tape it until, you know, time passes and everything comes back around. That is a tender place, right? More sensitive than normal. The gospel does the same thing. When you hear the gospel preached, with it arrives the faith to believe it. But there's a sensitivity that happens that people then can choose. It is a sensitivity that will drive you to your knees that says, God, you're so good. What must I do to be saved? I will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so vulnerable. Or it says, how do I cover this up? How do I wall up now? How do I harden myself so as not to feel this sensitivity again? That's such a dangerous move. It's such a dangerous thing to do. Whenever I feel the sensitivity, I feel the goodness of Almighty God approaching me, a mortal human, coming to me and saying, well, we're no mere, we're no mere mortals, but coming to me, a created being, I should say, with his kindness, and I go, ugh. How do I make sure I don't experience this kind of vulnerability ever again? That's a dangerous thing because God opposes the proud. And if I become prideful again, he may do me like he did Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then the scripture says, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. 
What hope is there for Pharaoh? None. It was over. It was too late. Did God do it? No. Pharaoh chose, and eventually God gave him up to his desire. God will give you up to your desire, or God will fulfill your desire. Praise God. For the saint, that is the promise. Desire the Lord, you're going to receive the full blessing. You're going to get the dump truck load of the goodness of God. But harden yourself to the Lord. Harden yourself to the Lord. He will give you up to that hardness and all the consequence of the wrath that comes from it instead of being spared by it. So this is why a person lost in sin can still say things like, I don't feel bad about it. And it's why a backslider could say something like, well, I don't have any conviction about this. I'm, I feel like me and the Lord are right about this. Yeah, yeah, I know you don't feel it because you're calloused. That's a callous on your heart. The entire body of Christ says this about it, but you say something different. Your arrogance is incredible. Well, I don't see it that way. Right. Callous alert. It's on your heart. Well, I, I disagree. Of course you would. Humble yourself before the Lord. So you can feel God again. So you can feel what he feels and want what he wants. Of course, these people, non-believers and backslidden Christians, of course they are to be loved and to be pitied. Because why? Well, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Because they're lost and in the dark. And this is who we all are outside of Christ. So as the righteous, we don't stand here with our chest puffed out and go, that's right, those people. We go, we're humble. We want to stay sensitive. No callous, sensitive skin. I feel everything. I'm sensitive to that. When I see somebody lost and wandering in the dark, I don't go, I can't believe it. I go, God, rescue them. God, save them. God, help them. God, send workers into that harvest. They don't know. They're blind. They're hard-hearted. Satan, take your hands off of them. Open the eyes of their heart, Lord. Cause those blinders to fall off. Why? Because we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with principalities and powers, mights and dominions, names that are all under the name of Jesus. That's who we're wrestling with. And we need to wrestle in prayer rather than, ugh, how dare they? How dare the enemy continue to touch what God loves, which is his people? So this is everyone until our heart is softened by the gospel. And when the word of God comes to you, the calluses are cut out and you have that opportunity to choose to believe or not to believe. The Holy Spirit makes it clear through Paul that Jesus is, in it, is not a supplement to our, lives, to our lives. He is not a vitamin that we need to take. Man, I need a little bit of Jesus in my life. Jesus is not like a vitamin. He's more like a blood transfusion. You're, you're totally dead and hopeless without him. You need full life renewal. You need full life restoration. And if you don't know that you need Jesus, you can't have Jesus. It's the other interesting thing about him. He, w- he refuses to be the cherry on top. I got, I got this life of my, I got this part of my life straight. I got this part of my life straight. I'm going to do some things with the Lord. You, you're, you're already in the wrong direction here. What he does is entire ref- reformation. He says, I'm going to own the house because I'm going to come live in it. If I'm going to live in it, I'm going to decorate, I'm going to paint, I'm going to rebuild, I'm going to lay out the blueprints. This is what it means to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we grow in. This is something that is progressive. This revelation comes from the moment we get born again. What's supposed to happen is this continued journey of growth. And this is what we get into now in verse 22, where I want you to look. Verse 22, to put off your old self 
which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through your deceitful desires. Get rid of. So in the original language here in the Greek, it was literally talking about getting rid of something like clothing, getting rid of an old garment, getting rid of something that you just don't want anymore. Think about your grossest work day that you've ever had. Some of us, we've had many of those, some fewer. But think about the <laughs> Darren's nodding his head. <laughs> when, I was, when I was preparing that, I was like, I bet Darren's going to relate to this one. Like, the, I'm assuming the plumbing business has got some, some, some dirty days. But uh, think about it. You, you were hot. You were sweaty. It was summertime. It was dirty. It was stinky. It was just by the end of the day, you're going, ugh. All I want is to get in that house and get a shower, right? You just want to get in, get fully cleansed, get, get all those nasty clothes off. You take those old clothes off, go get your shower. This is the picture that the Lord's painting for us here. Take all of that old, filthy stuff off. But imagine this. What if you had that filthy day? The grime, the stink, everything soaked from your own nasty sweat, and you get out of that crisp, clean shower, you dry off, and you go to that filthy heap. This is, this is underwear, because you couldn't tell. This is one of the socks. Just put it. Oh, here's, here comes the t-shirt. Oh, that's the worst for me. That one is this clean body and all this stuff back on and the pants. And now you're just going to go sit down at the dinner table and just, ugh, I'm clean, but I'm not. And I need, ugh, this, I, I did this wrong. Everything you're feeling, that squirming, that grossness that you're feeling, once you become a Christian, this is how you feel when you sin. Amen. This is what it's like for the Christian to live with sin. The Lord cleansed you. The Lord cleansed you. You didn't shower yourself is where our analogy fails a little bit. The Lord did the showering. The Lord did the cleaning. And then he says, I laid out a new wardrobe for you. Where's my old clothes? I burned them. Yeah. Anybody ever have a day where you actually threw away clothes at the end of the day? I've done it, Darren. I've had, I've had days where I was like, just throw it away. Like, I don't, I don't even want to think about that shirt ever again. Like, it's seen too much. I'll have PTSD. Like, just putting on that, clo- that clothing again. So there's, this is the picture for the Christian. Like, take off the old because you've been made new. This is why chapters 1 through 3 are so important. Because we just start in chapter 4, you just go, put off your old life, put on your new life. Well, you can't do it exactly like that. You've been made new. Now put on the new man and stop putting on old clothes. What are the old clothes? Old behaviors. I used to do this. Yeah, well, you don't anymore. Well, but I'm used to it. Yeah, but doesn't it feel incongruent? Doesn't it feel like gears are grinding? Well, yeah, it's because they are. You are new. You're loved by the Lord, and you're a a saved child in his house. Praise God. But you're putting on filthy clothes. Stop. You're royalty now. Act like it. You're worthy now. Act like it. You're new now. Act like it. You're alive now. Act like it. That's what we see happening here now. Ephesians 1 through 3. Wow, look at the glorious inheritance that he's given. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. Chapter 4. Therefore, because of all that, put on the new clothes that he's provided for you. 
Once you become a Christian, you shouldn't live like a non-Christian. This is what he says. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like the pagans anymore. So we could say similarly, it'd be not so different from me telling you, hey, stop living like an American. You're like, I am an American. Like, well, me too. And I prefer to be an American over any other nationality in the world. But when we're talking about our faith, I will most definitely tell you, don't live like an American. Just like Paul would say, he's not saying stop actually being a Gentile. They can't. They are Gentiles. But he says, stop living like Gentiles. So I'm telling you, stop living like Americans. It's all about me. Me. What do I feel? What's my truth? I am the highest ideal in life. Stop living like that. That's your old self. That's gross. It's dirty clothes. It stinks. Well, you make you hurt my feelings. <laughs> okay, but you still stink. Put on some new clothes, and your feelings won't be hurt anymore. I'm. This is a. This is an act of love. You're in. You're in the Father's house. Act accordingly. Act like the rest of us. <gasps> well, I'm my own special. Yeah, you're right. You're being American again. You're, you're you're raising the idealistic individual self up above the King, exalting your own throne. Put on new clothes. This is what he tells us in verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on these new clothes. Put on these new actions, these new behaviors. Pursue these things. Why? Because you're clean, not to become clean. You cannot clean yourself. The Lord showered you. Now you do have to put on these clothes. This is the action that we take. We do take action, church. We do have participation in our walk with the Lord. We do. I talked to you when when we were in Ephesians 1 and 2. We're talking about the mystery, and I talked to you about the the perspectives of whether or not the Lord has ordained every single thing that's ever happened. And I was saying, I don't believe that, and I don't see that in the Word. But But there's these two camps that would say, the Lord is in control of every single thing. And this other camp says, well, the Lord's in control what the Lord's in control of. But I think both camps seek to eliminate mystery that the Lord has not eliminated for us. And we have to walk in that mystery. But this is part of it. The Lord says, I've done the work of making you new, although you responded by faith, that he gave to you to even to be able to respond with. But you made a decision, a very distinct decision, and now you're new and saved, but now you have to choose to actually put on the new man. This is a beautiful relationship. It's mysterious and it's wonderful. When you get saved, though, the big thing that happens is your wanting has changed. Your wanter used to be broken. Your wanter was programmed incorrectly. You wanted things that you weren't supposed to want, but it's all you knew because your wanter was malfunctioning. So God said, I'm taking out the old wanter and I'm putting in a new wanter. And now there's a new wanter and the new wanter wants new things. The mind may still have old habits. You go, well, I'm so used to doing that. I know you are, but pay attention to the wanter now. You need to train yourself to follow the wanter because the wanter has been made new. Well, my wanter hasn't been made new. Well, (coughs) call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But the wanter is the thing that you cannot change. And if your desires haven't changed from the inside, I'm not talking about the flesh because we have this fleshly body that hasn't been made new. You are a spirit. You have a body. You have a mind. But that spirit is the only thing that God made new when you were born again. That mind still has that old habit. If there there were certain things that were flying out of my mouth nonstop yesterday, it's very likely that today, after I become saved, those things are still going to be tempting to come out and that those things will still happen. I'll go, oh, but the difference is the wanter will go, hey, that's not who you are anymore. 
That's a gross t-shirt. You go, oh, huh, yeah, that's true. Let me, let me get rid of that shirt. And the next thing you know, a few days later, you put that shirt on and you go, oh, I forgot this. This is gross now. My wanter has been changed. The Lord changed your wanter. If your wanter isn't made new, of course, then you're not new. Don't be confused about it. But your wanter was programmed incorrectly for wrong, for wrong things, and now the Lord has installed a new one. So that's the big deal. The Lord has done the work. He's made the wanter new. And now Paul is saying, live in accordance with the new life. Do right, because you are right. Don't do right so that you can become right. Do the right thing, and then you'll be the right kind of person. No, you won't. You've been made right in Christ. You're righteous before God. And now, do what you're supposed to do. And he, of course, in the coming verses and in the coming chapters, he gets very precise and says, so here's what this looks like with the church. Hey, stop lying to each other. Stop stealing. Work hard. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. He gets real specific and as he starts to walk all this out, but he does it all from this foundation of, you should want this, by the way. When you hear these things, it shouldn't be like, oh man, I gotta give that up. Your wanter goes, yeah, 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 that's right. The husband who's been made new, when he hears husbands love your wives, he doesn't go, oh man. He goes, yeah, 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 T- tell me more. How's that work? How's that look? I want that, I want that. I don't quite know what it looks like though. Maybe I don't quite understand it all, but Lord, my wanter wants that. I want to love my wife like Christ loves the church. That's the desire of my heart. Show me, Lord. Walk me into that. Mature me into it. That's right. That's good. Will you do it imperfectly? Yep. Every husband does. When a wife hears, submit to your husband, she won't go, I'm an American. I'm powerful. Don't need no man. She won't say that. She'll say, my my wanter wants that. My wanter wants that. Lord, show me what that looks like. Show me how to glorify your name. Show me how to walk in obedience to that. When children here obey your parents, they won't go, parents are dumb. A children with a new wanter, a child with a new wanter goes, I want that. Show me, Lord, how does it look to walk that out? Does does flesh exist? Flesh exists, church. And what do we do with flesh? This is a clue, everybody. It has to be crucified. Every day. The flesh is always going to say, hey, we don't like that. Nobody's asking you anymore. Nobody's asking you anymore. We're we're following the wanter because it wants what God wants. Verse 23. So how? How do we take off those old clothes? God washed us. But how do we put on these new clothes? Verse 23 tells us, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So this is where our battlefield is. This is where the fight takes place. So if you think about it in the sense of uh, the flesh and the spirit, so your spirit is where the wanter has been made new. The flesh just wants what's easiest, what's most selfish. Flesh has not been rescued yet. Spirit is brand new. Well, the mind is this piece here where we have to renew it with the word of God to continually refresh ourselves and our perspective to see what does God want? Why does he want it? So that the mind and the spirit are unified instead of the mind with the flesh. So that the mind and the spirit can continually say, crucify it, crucify it, crucify the flesh. The flesh goes, man, they did this to us. We ought to do that to them. And the, and the renewed mind and the spirit just go, we're going to pray for them. And the flesh goes, oh, you guys always say that. Like, yeah, because it's, it's what God wants. Because we're not calloused. Because we're not selfish like you. And when we do sin, this renewed mind and this wanting spirit goes, oh, Lord, 
I obeyed the flesh. It's not who I am, though. It's not who I am. So when we're made new, we begin our journey of renewing the spirit of our minds. We're part of this royal family, but we have no clue what that means in the beginning. So that's something that we're going to keep walking out, saints, all the days of our lives. So imagine a child born to a powerful king. This child is royalty. He's going to be king one day, but he's still got so much to learn. He's got privilege, but he also has duty. He has obligations to represent his father and his family in a certain way. And he needs to learn that his personal desires come second to his father, to the throne, and to the kingdom. This is much what it's like to mature as we walk with the Lord. But because the wanter is there, because as, when this child's three years old, he doesn't care about the kingdom. He doesn't care about any of that. But as he matures, as he grows, his desires change, and he realizes he's a young man of duty now. It's not just, well, my dreams were this, Papa, which is like all Western films, by the way. <laughs> like, you're born into this incredible family, but I feel my own identity rising up. It's belittling duty, <coughs> belittling good godly obligation, because the father's always tyrannical, of course, as, you know, as the satanic message would have you believe. But this young man, he can grow, he can rise, and he can ascend to actually recognize it's not about me, and there's much to learn. So I shouldn't act like everyone else because I'm not like everyone else. And I can be a blessing with my position to everyone else. And that's the point that the saint starts to realize as they mature. That's what we're prioritizing as a church. That's why we're making sure that we're keeping a focus outward. That's why there's going to continually be an expectation that we will make disciples in our individual lives. Look at all that you've been given. Yeah, so my life can be awesome. Well, God has provided richly for you to enjoy rich blessings, but also because he expects you to be generous. He has blessed his children with extreme opulence so that they can continue to expand and say, look how good the king is. Come into the kingdom. All of his ways are good and true and right and perfect. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you can see anything in my life, be blessed and encouraged by that and just know that I'm an imperfect representation of the perfect king. I got to get you to him face to face. He will change your wantings, and then the rest is history. You can continue to ascend, walk with him, love him, and enjoy him. This is what we're doing. And in the, as you read ahead, you'll see. He says right away, he gets into the specifics, starts talking about details. So in the coming weeks, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be zooming in and talking about what does this look like, the very practicals. Because of what Jesus has done, yeah. because he switched out our wanter, and because now we, we're, we're remembering when we sin, we go, ugh, this shirt is so gross. I need to throw this thing away. These socks, these underwear, you've got to be kidding me. Why would I put this back on? It's filthy. There's something better. But a lot of times we haven't seen what the wardrobe looks like. When you see the new clothes, you're going to be blown away. When you see them as God sees them, you go, this is perfect. It fits me well. It was tailor-made. This is who I am. And this is exactly what I'm supposed to wear. Heavenly Father, We thank you for making us new. For those who have been changed by the grace of Jesus, God, our wantings have changed. We can see that. We ask that you would forgive us for not paying attention to the directions and the desires of the Holy Spirit. So many times, God, where I have grieved the Holy Spirit by saying, you know what, let me me just put on this, this filthy shirt one more time because I've got good memories with it or because I've got the habit of it. 
God, help us to continually burn that old wardrobe as we continually burn for you and put on the new man. Put on the new acts of righteousness and holiness because it's who we really are. And for those of us who have not yet called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who have not had their wanter changed and their wanter renewed, God, I ask that you would break through with revelation into their hearts. I ask that you would show them and reveal your love. I ask that you would show them and reveal their sin. And I ask that you would lead them to a place of humility so that they would bend the knee to you and call upon the name of the Lord with simple childlike faith, requesting salvation from the only one who can provide it, requesting resurrection from the one who is eager to give it. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life and nobody can save themselves. We must be rescued because you took our sins. You paid the penalty. We deserve hell. We deserve death. But instead of killing and crushing us, you crushed your own son in an act of mercy towards us. Jesus did it willingly. You treated your son like he was your enemy so that all of your enemies could become your sons. And now whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, we thank you for that incredible gift of love and salvation. Help us to walk worthy, walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that's on our lives now. Glorify your name through us in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.